Standby like use 2 through 33, sound 1A through 7 on deck. Standby Q actors. Electrics, kill the blue run lights, please. Like you 2 and sound 1A. Go. Hello and welcome to Hang and Focus. This is a very special episode and it's a sort of, in very loose terms, a teen takeover. So I'm sure you don't know who I am, but my name is Micah Gordon Fricky. Uh, I'm 15 years old. I use he, him, or they, them pronouns. Um, I am a member of the ATC Teen Student Council, which you'll learn about in a moment. But I play the role of, or I serve the role of um, community support coordinator and graphic designer. In Malcolm, which you'll learn more about in a moment, I was the stage manager. And I'm joined by Micah is joined by me. Hello, hello. My name is Anya. I use she, her pronouns, and I'm also an ATC Teen Council member. This year, I act as the ATC Teen Council chairperson. Yeah, and what ATC Teen is, it's a completely free and wonderful education program uh, for students from the ages of 13 to 19 to um, be put in positions of you know, power and creativity and acting in all roles of theater. And we can really uh, put on our own shows. Yeah, absolutely. Taking the reins and learning by doing. Um, so one of the things that ATC Teen is involved with is what this entire episode is going to focus on um, and have the theme of, which is the hashtag enough project. Um, so the hashtag enough project is called hashtag enough plays to end gun violence. Um, and that is a national call on high school students and teenagers everywhere to start a conversation through the means of theater about how gun violence is affecting us and people in general and how it needs to change and really using theater and art and performance as a medium for that. Um, so ATC Teen is involved with Hashtag Enough Plays to End Gun Violence through two different projects, one of which is Malcolm by Deb Kanya Mitra, um, and the other is a staged reading of a play called The War to End Gun Violence by Zoe. So today we are joined by a number of teens involved with um, Hashtag Enough, and we have some questions to talk to them about and get their point of view as ATC teen members. Here with us today is Nicole, the director of Malcolm, to tell us a little bit more about that show. Hello, my name is Nicole Custodio. Um, I'm the director for Malcolm. Uh, so Malcolm was written, as Anya said, by the brilliant Deb Kanya Mitra. Um, the story follows four individuals reminiscing on the late Malcolm, who was unfortunately a victim of police brutality. Uh, so the story follows uh, just that, you know, police brutality, activism, uh, gun violence. I think this is a very important story that we're telling and I'm very excited to share this with all of you. Thanks, Nicole. Um, so with us here today, in addition to Nicole, is every is a whole bunch of other teenagers hi my name is zoe and my pronouns are she her i was the playwright for the war against gun violence and i was also assistant director and assistant costume designer for play malcolm 
My name is Rourke. I use he, him pronouns. I was the production manager and costume designer for Malcolm. Hi, my name is Isabella. I'm the lighting designer for Malcolm, and my pronouns are she, her. Um, I made creative decisions on lighting and directed how actors can do that in their own homes. Hello, I am Faith Santos. My pronouns are she, they. I play Malcolm's college friend in the play. Um, within the play, I explain how I meet Malcolm and how I became his lawyer. Hi, my name is Preston Campbell Cueva. Um, I pronouns are he, him, and I play bandmate. And throughout the story, or I talk about my experiences with Malcolm as hit through our journey through music. Hi, uh, I'm Lauren. I, ha I go by she, her pronouns, and I played driver in Malcolm. Um, basically in the show, um, it shows me being basically a stranger to Malcolm and giving him his very last drive. Awesome, thanks everyone. Um, so firstly, in our discussion about the Hashtag Enough project and ATC's involvement with it, um, I have a question mainly directed at Zoe and Nicole regarding your leadership in theater um, with gun violence. And so I wanted to ask what the process has been like as a leader because Zoe wrote uh, The War Against, War Against Gun Violence, which is one of the plays that ATC Teen is producing and Nicole is directing Malcolm, the other play. Um, so I wanted to ask you both what that process has been like as leaders and what kinds of things you really knew you wanted to address um, when you were entering those roles. Um, what this process has been like for me has really impacted me in learning more about gun violence and learning about more about how they impact other people. And the things I really wanted to address in writing my play and assisting in Malcolm is um, how they impacted others and the importance of how this topic is and the importance of why we learn this. Cool, what a great way to get the word out and start sharing your point of view. Nicole, did you have anything that you wanted to talk about? Sorry. So this is actually the first ever activism piece I've ever worked on, so it was definitely a very different experience uh, comparing it to other things I've done in theater. Uh, so this was very new to me. I guess my main goal with this piece was to really emphasize uh, the problems uh, America has with gun violence and specifically police brutality, and I really just wanted to emphasize the importance of talking about like these very serious and important issues. It's really important that teens have as much passion as you do to express these points of view because we're affected by this too. So I'd love to talk uh, more specifically about what we've taken out of this process. Uh, at the time of recording, Malcolm is essentially done and wrapped up, but it hasn't premiered yet. So I think we're at a really good time to reflect on what we got out of the experience, what we learned on it. So um, anyone who would like to share? Um, for me, I, I've done much work in putting activism and art hand in hand, whether it be through music or performance um, and work. But with this, uh, this play, it really kind of solidified my confidence in how transformative that can be. I think not only reviewing and reading this beautiful play, but also playing a part within it has 
awfully just made me so driven and confident in how our our performances can make a big difference for people. Yeah, so it just adding on like um faith as well I I have done I this is my second activism piece and it, it a bit different than the one I've done before, but it definitely is it's interesting to learn more about something that's so prevalent right now and something that like which seems like it has a simple solution but it really doesn't and just so many like different variables you have to take into account and like different point of views, different perspectives and just like how this hits home to people. And then that's kind of the, the thing with art is like it, it connects people, but it kind of sucks when like, this is like the one thing connecting people, but it is important to not disregard and pretend like it isn't an issue. Something that I have learned and grown from this experience is the power that this topic has and the power that we can have expressing this topic and teaching others about it and just how we can make a difference. So it takes a lot of work and will over time hopefully make a difference. Um, This has actually been my first activism piece I've worked on in theater and it's been really interesting because well, like everything we do in theater is very intentional and, and we, we think about our choices. But I think doing an activism piece just felt so much more um, uh, precious. And like, you really want to put your all into it and, and make, think about everything you're doing. And um, I, I think it just, it goes along with everything that theater is like intentional choices and thinking with empathy and putting yourself in the position of the characters um, and the themes of the play. Of course, I agree with all of those things, but something that I was sort of expecting, but not in the extent that I experienced it, I realized like just how much I appreciate all the tech people that work around the actors. Um, I haven't done much work in like, you know, being in the creative team and being in the technical part of shows. And so um, just doing like my, like my sets and like making sure I have my lighting and my costume pieces and stuff like that. It just like tripled my love for like the people that do tech for us um, when we do shows because it is a lot of work. Absolutely. Yeah, our our crew for this show was incredible and our cast um took on the role of like being mini crew having to um do their own tech as directed by the lighting and costume designers and you all did an incredible job. Another topic uh very related to our play, I want to give you all a chance to speak more about your observations about gun violence especially in the US. Like, like um, a lot of you said, there's a lot of ways that your level of privilege and race and schooling and our ages, um, social media, the sense of humor that uh, we are all kind of ingrained with um, really gives you a unique perspective on the history and just culture surrounding guns where we are. So I know it's a heavy topic. So anyone that feels comfortable, uh, please go ahead and share your thoughts. Uh, yeah, Nicole. I definitely feel that something 
that is very unique about America and its culture is the way we romanticize owning a gun. Um, we sort of see it, and I feel like we also see it a lot in our media, you know, the fact that, oh, if I own a gun, I am automatically like a badass because I can do this cool thing. Um, and I really feel like it just adds to that, like, it's, it's just very toxic um, as to how we think about gun violence and gun issues. And not only that, but also how we distribute guns to certain people. Mm. Absolutely. That's a really good analysis of it, I think. Uh, Isabella, go ahead. Um, I think for me, growing up, and the news is always on in the background, and I mean, I look at the news and I see, oh, another thing about gun violence, and it's almost become like normalized and that isn't how it should be um because I, I was such I, I was at such a young age where it was just like oh this is another thing that just happens but it shouldn't be happening yeah i think that's uh, absolutely a common experience uh preston just to add like with the u.s's relationship with guns it and i and i totally agree that it's just crazy how normalized like issues become like like mass shootings have become but the it gets it gets tricky with the u.s because a lot of the times we're compared to european countries and like other countries from around the world but we do have to recognize that yes we the how quickly the u.s has grown since its 200 year lifespan where you have these these other countries that have had like their their diplomacy has last has been older than like guns themselves but like and again, like how it's so ingrained, romanticized, like it's, it's one of our amendments and it's it, like asking, like asking gun lovers, just from my experience, like if they, like when, whenever their gun right is threatened, it's, it's very much how everyone gets when their freedom of speech is threatened because it's so like in their, like in the brain about how like, this is my constitutional right. And they're right. It is. And to an extent, I understand it, but to an extent, I'm like, do you really need that AR-15? Because like, I don't know. And, and, and then I get it because, and this is, this can be considered like, it's, it's just a crappy situation. But the fact is, you know, like a lot of people feel more comfortable with the guns because when their oppressors have guns, they feel like that's their only way to fight back, which sucks that, that like people have been pushed around to that. Mm-hmm. I can't think of a word, but to that conclusion where they, they feel like, well, the people who are supposed to protect us don't, so I'm going to carry this because I need it for myself. Whereas there is also where people have that mindset, but they're not really in danger, but they feel like they're in danger. And that's where a lot of fear-mongering comes into with like the news on both media sides. It, it's definitely the news cycle can be really vicious in creating like fear and angst with people. My experience with um, and my relationship with gun violence, um, I grew up in Carson, California. I didn't really experience uh, any examples of white America and their patriotism towards, you know, owning a gun. If anything, I grew up around a lot of gang violence that not only romanticized guns, but because we were a low income person of color, heavy area, it was either, you know, inevitable that you join into a gang or um, you just live in fear of exactly what Preston said, you know, of the reason why you're like, you know, your oppressors are armed and it is scary. Um, So I definitely have grown this 
relationship and have expanded it with not only this play, but like also the shift of moving into Arizona um, from California and whatnot. And it is, it is very complex about how I feel, you know? Um, this was actually, I believe, like the first conversation that we had as a cast and team. We, like our very first rehearsal, we, we read through the script and then we had this awesome conversation about how has gun violence affected you personally? And I think we all came to find that whether we liked it or not, and whether it was big or small, we had all been affected by gun violence, whether it was firsthand, secondhand, it has negatively affected all of us. And, you know, you'll often hear the narrative that like, oh, like of the people that have guns, it's very, very few. And sure, that might be true, but it's, it happens more often than maybe is on the news or maybe that you hear about in your circle. And, you know, that's why I think stuff like hashtag enough is really important because it, you know, combines two communities. So like maybe somebody that's really into theater finds out that they have a passion for, you know, speaking up about, about gun violence, or maybe somebody that's passionate about politics finds out they have a love for theater. And that's why I love these little collaborations. So yeah. to add on to that, I mean, what's it called? I think that like, because of the large media um, exposure and even, you know, just in real life exposure, I know for me growing up, I hear of people getting shot and it was so often that it definitely came over my head. And I think translating it into art definitely helps put things into perspective for people. And that's what hashtag enough has done. This is a, this is kind of a generalization, but from just my experience is a little sheltered on specific issues. There's issues that, and, and I, and I would attribute it to the lack of diversity and in, in just in theater overall, but it's also just the lack of diversity and resources. They're not, they're not getting all the experiences that you're like the firsthand experiences, all the, the people who have lived it, they hear about it. And it's kind of what you've kind of gotten this like whole hearsay perspective. Like someone could write a play about something they saw on the news, but they saw it on the news, you know, and like, yes, they're going to do their research, but it's not something that they've experienced. It's not something that they're, that they feel the need to tell because that's their story. And I feel like that's something with like theater that moves into a good direction or that is moving into a good direction is that we are telling more stories that aren't just aimed at one group of people. Absolutely. Thank you so much for bringing that up, Preston. I think putting minorities not just in the spotlight, but also behind the scenes and putting them in um, control of creating the stories about them and people who have experienced certain issues is so important. And that's why I really love the concept of the Hashtag Enough project. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Um, listening to all the elaboration you had to say, um, it reminded me a lot of how teens and, and people younger than the age of 20 to 25 have a really unique perspective and a really unique relationship with gun violence, um, especially regarding gun violence in schools and places of education. Um, and I was thinking about the like Gen Z approach to everything and how um, people our age are living in TikTok culture and meme culture and um, how Micah said at the beginning, the, the sense of humor that Generation Z has kind of adopted. Um, and 
And then along with this, um, that the beginning of the conversation with how normalized it's become to hear about the horrible things happening with guns um, and, and how uh, it's not surprising anymore. I was thinking a lot about um, dark humor that is put in meme culture and in TikToks or social media. And it's videos of people saying, you know, like you wonder why uh, people our age have like depression and anxiety and trust issues or are always looking for the fastest way to exit a room. And then it, you know, the video switches to show like, it's because we've been hiding under desks since we were five years old and had to look around the classroom thinking, what can I use as a weapon to defend myself? Um, which is just so morbid and so gruesome. And yet Generation Z has done this really unique thing where we've taken it into our hands and we've been like, oh, but it's, you know, this is something that we've dealt with, just like how we've grown up with social media. This is just what our, what our life is like. Um, and on that, Generation Z is really strong. So, so we say, okay, well, this is what our life is like and we hate it. So let's start doing hashtag enough projects. Let's start working together to create the change. Um, yeah, I totally think that um, a lot of that humor is kind of almost used to like cope because we've grown up with like just this thing happening and then we're finally starting to realize, oh, that's probably not good. <laughs> but we're like using humor to cope with it. Um, and at the same time, acting out and doing things to help the issue be progressive. I totally see how it's used as a coping method, just like theaters. Like both of them are used as almost like coping and communication methods. Um, Preston, go ahead. Oh yeah. I was just kind of what you said. And then also what Isabella had said, like it really, like ever since we have been born, like, like just Gen Z has been born, like society has taken a, a very rapid shift. And, um, you know, like I talk about this with my mother, my mom a lot. And, um, you know, there's, there's a very, distinct point when it happened and I I want to say it was really because we're, we were we live in the post 9-11 world my our parents uh, a lot of all the other generations they lived in the pre 9-11 world so they're it, it switched for them they saw the switch we never saw that switch we never saw the switch of upgraded security we never saw the switch of um where where racial conflicts became a bit more normalized. I will, and I don't want to say normalized because they've always been there, but there was, there was a switch where, where racism became a little bit more patriotic, I guess. And, and, and that's, that's a little bit debatable because it's been like our, our country's history is pretty deep rooted, but like, just like Islamophobia, a lot of stuff like that. But we've, and then we grow up with all this and all the social media we grow up in schools where, like you said, we've been practicing how to get out of a room the safest way, how to, if we need to fight, how to fight, how to do all this. And it kind of, and also not touching on like anything that we have are like, sorry, I'm stuttering, but climate change as well. You know, like we kind of, it really does feel like as a generation, our back is against the wall and we don't have anywhere to go. Like there's no, there's no like other option. There's no like, oh, we can just ignore this for the next generation because things are getting pretty urgent. And there's really no point to wait for the next generation because doing that is just kind of making it worse for us along the way. Yeah, absolutely. Um, a lot to do with the, with our generation leading movements that need to be talked about. Um, and hopefully we find success in making change. Obviously we've started to make change, but hopefully we continue to progress and continue to teach further generations um, how to do it. Um, Zoe, go ahead. 
Going off of what Isabella said with the meme culture and coping with it, we, our generation has grown up, especially when we were little, thinking, oh, gun violence is just a thing, or this is just lockdown drills are just something we do and everything. And as our generation gets older, we're learning more about it and we're learning more about why and the how and how we can change it. And the memes, I think, might also be a way of coping, but also might be a way of not necessarily spreading awareness, but also kind of like, um, hey, this is a thing. This is part of our world. Why is it part of our world? Yeah, for sure. I think you make a really good point, Zoe, um, especially because humor is a really powerful tool. People listen to you if you're funny and if you entertain them. I do think that using, you know, the internet and using the, I guess, culture that we've created with like joking about um, these heavy topics, I think it can kind of be a double-edged sword um, because, you know, obviously it can, if you're funny and, you know, political and you make good points or you you know, can highlight something that's been a problem, like, and it's accessible to people your age, that's a really cool thing. But then at the same time, there could be people that, you know, are tone deaf about it and want to just argue, or there could be, you know, false information floating around, people using the same format to spread information that isn't, you know, correct. Um, so, but it, it is like our best way of, of getting our voices out there, especially as teenagers, and especially in a world where we aren't outside much right now um but it definitely does have that effect that can just sort of i don't know contradict everything that is good about you know what i'm saying <laughs> yeah lauren i really liked um what i took from that it almost reminded me of just like the importance of listening in in a like de in a conversation that is going to develop an issue or not develop an issue, but start solving it. And I really liked your elaboration um, that there's, you know, the tug of war between people who are arguing just to argue and people who are sitting down to explain and then in turn listen um, to come to a productive conclusion. Absolutely. Um, Faith, go ahead. Um, I really believe that, you know, this sort of already preset of pain and um, stress and anxiety just comes from the fact that um, sometimes we're completely unaware that we're going through traumatic events. And I think, um, like Preston said, we live in post 9-11 world and that kind of set some trauma for everybody who came before us. And for example, coronavirus, we don't know, but being isolated for so long, that is a traumatic event. We're going through something. And um, we kind of, you know, in the moment, we, we feel like we can't have the power to identify that because of let's say the education system. We definitely have been surrounded by fear-based parenting and fear-based teaching, um, especially um, I'm being able to reclaim that sort of independence I have and the power that I have by educating myself on that. Um, and I think with pieces like this, um, we have assembled a, a group of teens that are reclaiming their power in activism and just in their voices. So I think, for example, I, I haven't really seen much of the TikTok coping mechanism of, you know, being Gen Z, but I definitely have heard and seen plenty of young activists that are around my age, and it just makes me so proud. Again, 
Faith pointed out with the activism. And I do think that's a really good point to point out because we have, we have like the greatest, our kind of our, our downfall. I don't want to say our downfall, but like something that can be used against us so often, but we use to our benefit so greatly is the internet and social media because the internet, yes, it, they can, you know, like a lot of times like you could post something and someone will be like, okay, that's flagged. You're getting like, you're going to face consequences for that. But at the same time with activism, we look at years of activism. We look at like activism from the civil rights movement, like, um, you know, like, like the Chicano movement in um, LA and you, you see, well, not even just in LA, just in like the Southwest, but you see a lot of these civil rights leaders back in like the 60s, 70s, 80s, they get, they get killed. They get taken out. They get, they get death attempts. They get, you know, attacked. But the thing with our generation is they can't do that anymore. You know, like the, the, your, like, yes, we still have violence, but the people we are fighting against, the people we are, um, bringing awareness to, they can't combat us because one post, one like little, little JPEG that says, has this much writing says, look this up, go to this website, like donate to this, sign this. That one thing can do so much effort. It can do so much work and, and it can't be traced back to one person. And I think that's that like level of like, um, I, I don't know the word, anonymity, I don't, would be is, is, is beneficial to our generation for making things happen because it doesn't all just trace back to one person, one group. It has just kind of molded into like all these different groups saying like, we want this. And then it's like another group saying we want that. And those groups are like, we're going to help you get that. Help us get this. It's, it's all of that. It's like give, it's like give and give. It's not even give and take. And they just can't take it from us like they used to. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you, Preston. That, um, leads me exactly into my next topic, which is how do you all think that theater is important for activism and you to be used as a voice for teens? How do you think um, this theater community and theater in general can be used to perfectly articulate and communicate all of these issues that you've just voiced? I think theater is really the perfect time for an audience to just sit and listen, which um, in which like no one can uh, just go up on stage and be like, I think this is wrong. Uh, it just really emphasizes our points in saying, listen to our stories, take in this information. So then when you walk out, you can reflect on what just happened. Yeah, absolutely. That almost reminds me of like, especially, well, obviously we're living in a time of online theater, but especially in past experiences, like how you could walk into a show and it could be educating you on something that you completely disagree with, but you're forced to sit and watch it for at least the first act. Um, if you're, if you're decent and you don't, you know, get up and walk out in the middle of the show. Um, but even that is enough to, to say, sit down and, and listen as we present this point of view. Absolutely. Thank you, Nicole. Go ahead, Rourke. Um, I just think theater, well, like Anya was saying, people will listen who wouldn't ordinary, ordinarily listen or who wouldn't typically seek out these answers or points of view, um, but are open to them when presented through the lens of theater, um, especially right now, because we're all trapped in our homes. And so like when I see a, an online reading or uh, Zoom play, I'm like excited to um, get theater and and I'm sure there's people out there who aren't seeking out these um, conversations who will be attracted to this because it's theater um, and I, that's just very powerful and theater has 
there's more empathy in theater than like any other storytelling format. Um, and I think that's one thing that makes theater so effective and powerful. Your point about how theater is what drives interest was so spot on. I, I never even thought of that, but like, sh- like sh- there are so many times I've seen a show and it has suddenly sparked a new internet hole of research that I want to go down that I wouldn't have if I hadn't seen the show. Absolutely. The theater can also seek out other people who want to get involved in these types of movements and that they just don't know how to express it. So they hear about it and they're like, oh, I'm going to join this. And I also think that um, theater really makes people think when you're watching it. And even after you're, it really, it's a lot to take in and it really makes people think about what they do and um, just what's going on in the world and whatever the piece is talking about. To add on to that, um, the way theater makes people think and whatnot, it really has this relationship with um, reality and it's either potential or false. Um, And I was working with a theater director earlier this quarantine and they spoke about the importance of community theater, um, youth community theater, speaking to an audience. I know that in the beginning of quarantine, we had um, the Dear American White Theater Movement, which I'm totally behind of, um, where it's asking to dismantle oppression in the heads of theater. And though that is important, the core of theater, I believe, really is the consumers. Um, whether you are the person reading the script and then acting for it, or you know, just being in an audience, I think just being able to have that communicated to you is very powerful. And that just shows the immense you know, control of art and, like I said, activism going hand in hand. For sure, yeah. That that makes me think a lot about when I saw Spring Awakening and how I I it was nothing that I expected it to be, and I spent the entire intermission chattering away with the couple of friends that I went with because it, it made us think. Yeah, absolutely, it's so powerful. Like speaking politically in theater, it's dated all the way back to like Shakespeare's Richard the Third, and um, <laughs> that's a really specific example. Um, but you know, like things that have reached out to pretty much everyone, like. Eve Ensler's work, um, you know, things like that. And like, sure, there's a lot of work to be done when it comes to, um, you know, being, I guess, politically correct in theater or just being more diverse, being more accepting in general. Um, But it's really, like I said before, it's something that combines two very, very distinguished worlds. And um, like Zoe said, brings in people, harnesses in people that are interested in one thing and get to learn about another thing. Yeah, that's so true, Lauren. Um, all, everything you said is so true, especially regarding that theater historically has always created change and always made people think. So why not use it for change and gun violence now? Absolutely. Final thoughts. Theater, like like politics, like we always think like, you know, diplomacy, like like all the like the political, but like politics, like the, like the word itself is really just like human, like people interactions. And that's all theater is and like all of it. Is just constantly commenting, constantly changing. You know, like we look 50 years back, there's like theater that, and like not even 50 years, just as long as theater, like how Lauren said, as long as theater has existed, it's always commented. And I think that's just because as artists, we always can envision 
a better society. There's never the perfect, we've never reached perfect society. And even then we won't because there will always be an issue and, th and that's okay. Because like like every theater, every every play, every story, there's conflict. And like without conflict, like theater wouldn't be here. So I think it, it goes hand in hand, like where conflict exists, theater and like just art form in general, like meets in the middle and it, like it kind of just balances it out. You know, like there's the conflict, but here's how the people react. Uh, as a sort of end note, um, something that came up again and again was just the concept of teenagers' voices and the voices of the oppressed and how hard it is to be taken seriously and listened to and given an opportunity to talk like we've been for the past 50 or however many minutes. And this conversation is just so enlightening and brings so much to me and hopefully to anyone who listens to it. And I want to thank um, ATC and the regular hosts of this podcast for giving us the formats to speak and share all of our thoughts for um, giving that, you know, willingly to us and seeking uh, each and every one of us out, um, though we also uh, had to do a lot to find these opportunities. I just, um, I'm so glad we've been able to come together. Yeah, absolutely. Just as theater inspires audiences, you all have like empowered me and enlightened me. Um, you had so many insightful things to say and I am so grateful that I got to ask you questions and just it, it, oh. And yeah, just as Micah said, thank you to the, the podcast itself and the hosts themselves for um, giving us this opportunity and this platform and space to talk freely and share our important voices as teenagers. This is your call board for December 4th through 10th, 2020. I am Will Rogers, Community Engagement Manager at Arizona Theatre Company. And I hope you enjoyed yourself watching this, the teen takeover of Hang and Focus Live. And I hope that you're safe. I hope that you're well. This is going to be a real short call board today. We have an announcement for you later. But first, we have some very special thank yous. We are so grateful to everyone who supports Arizona Theatre Company's learning and education department and makes things like what you saw today possible. Um, these funds help us provide hands-on training from theater professionals and allow ATC to share the live theater experience um, at low and uh, no cost to young people like, like the ones you saw today throughout the state of Arizona. And we are especially thankful to some key members who make this programming happen. That's Cox Charities of Tucson and Phoenix, Applied Materials, the Stonewall Foundation, and the John and Helen Murphy Foundation. Your support means so much to us. It makes these programs possible for our youth and our teens. And on a personal level, I'd say that one of the highlights of being on the staff at Arizona Theater Company is getting to see these young people grow and evolve as artists and as people. And uh, it really makes it worth doing our job. So thank you so much for that. And you can get involved yourself if you'd like to give and support Arizona Theater Company. You can do so by texting ATC to 56512 or visiting our website at arizonatheater.org slash give. And as promised, a special announcement, we wanna make sure that everyone knows about Arizona Theater Company's a new partnership with Maricopa Community Colleges. And in particular, right now, we are working with the fine, fine folks over at Mesa Community College. That's Ruth Sager, uh, Kevin Dressler, and their entire team, not to mention their phenomenal students, uh, 
it's been a privilege to be in those classes some. Uh, this project um, is led by Ruth and Kevin and Chanel, creating a program called Corona Logs, sharing stories in the, of these unprecedented times. They are indeed unprecedented and require an unprecedented response. And that's what they're getting through, the, through this class. Uh, students are getting the opportunity to write and edit and uh, learn how to be digital storytellers, theatrical storytellers, actors. Um, they're getting really just an amazing multidisciplinary experience, and this is sure to grow into something phenomenal. But you can check out what we've been working on December 10th through 12th on their platform, and uh, stay tuned here because we will be showing it on our own platform coming up. So thank you to everyone over at Mesa Community College. Uh, we, uh, we, we think we're very lucky to get to experience this with you. All right, that's all we have for you today. So uh, next week's Hang In Focus, we're gonna have the creative team behind Somewhere Over the Border, one of our upcoming digital offerings. It's a musical, it's awesome, it's hot. You're gonna love it. Don't miss that conversation. And how about um, do something nice for someone this week and see.